God alone, he is the sole one that receives the glory, not even the church. That's not our focus this morning. We are here together, but our great focus is on the one who bought the church with his own blood. Amen? Amen. Well, this morning, I, if you don't have a sermon outline, please just lift your hand and these guys will bring one to you. You do need that in the life of our church. We study the Bible intently, and as we do that, we want to have something here so you can take it home, go back over it, and be able to continue to study as we look at God's Word. Well, we continue in this powerful little book of 1 John, 1 John chapter 2. And this morning, we're going to bite off a new section. And you see that in the box on the page that is there. So uh, we're not going to study all of these verses, but this section is going to comprise the next three or four sermons. And so uh, this morning will be real important. We're going to read all of that. And to give my voice a little bit of a break this morning, T.J. Chipman, one of our seminary students, is going to read some of the longer passages for us this morning, and he's just going to sit right there on the front row. He has a mic. He's going to get a mic, and uh, he's going to read for us a little bit to help me out. But notice the title. Do you see the title? Notice the title this morning. The Light of Love from what kind of darkness? Fading darkness. Now, There's a couple of different ways that we often think about the darkness of this present age. As we come toward the end of this present age, it seems as if, and it's true, that the darkness is growing. I mean, we see that the world is running further and faster from God. We see that there are many values that once um, held in there, at least in Western culture, Um, that are giving way to pure secularism and pure hedonism. We see this this growing darkness. There's no question of that. In fact, if you read Matthew 24, if you read other passages of Scripture, we see that at the end of this era, there's there's going to be great difficulty and hardship. No question about that. But in the even grander scheme of things, even beyond this present era, and this present era basically marks from when Christ ascended to the Father and the Holy Spirit came down to this present moment and will be until he comes again, this present era is actually giving way from darkness into great light. Because of what Jesus did when he came to save humanity, past, present, and future, We see that a light, a a light was lit of salvation that is going to go straight into all of eternity. And that's part of what John is talking about here. That's part of what we're going to see this morning. We're going to see what God has called us to live in, the light of his love, and this is Jesus Christ, and it's from a fading darkness. So I think that you're going to find great encouragement in this this morning as we come to this new section. And so, TJ, go ahead and read for us. And I'd like for everyone to carefully, carefully, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 7 through 17. And I may interrupt him a little bit. You all know I can't, I can't stand that sometimes, um, uh, that there's a comment that would just help you uh, stay in with the passage. But um, TJ, go ahead and read 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 through 17 in the box on the page. 1 John 2, 7 through 8. Beloved, 
I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Okay, I'm going to stop you right there. Look at that. Look at verse 8. Because the darkness is what? Passing away, it's fading. And the true light is what? Already shining. So here they are, second century, difficult times, but yet, excuse me, end of the first century, difficult times, but yet the light is shining and John is reminding them of that. Now look at what he challenges us with. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness, and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Amen. Amen. So this is our section. This is our, our chunk that we're going to work on for the next couple of weeks. And I want you to notice this with me. In this section, the Apostle John joins, the, excuse me, turns the focus to God's fill it in, God's love commandment. So he's writing to them seeking to straighten out some of their false beliefs. He's writing to them seeking to straighten out some of their bad behavior. You know, that's, that's what children need, and we're all children, children of God, and sometimes the Lord is chastening us. Sometimes he does that through his word, and that's what we see John doing. John is writing about the love commandment. In the midst a world of a world, where darkness and the evil one, fill it in, seem to dominate. And there's no doubt about that. I mean, buildings fall down out of the blue. Um, there's all kinds of evil that rages in the human heart. There's all kinds of strife in the culture. There's nation rising up against nation. There's evil that seems to have just no end to its depth. We, I mean, I'm, I'm just amazed at the films that come out of Hollywood uh, it's just amazing the darkness that is there. So many films so filled. You know, the, the horror section um, of uh, Hollywood entertainment is just unbelievable. When we, we look at that, I mean, I, I just saw a headline of some new Halloween movie that's coming out, and it says, perhaps the most grisly of all. You know, it, it, that's the appeal, is to see grisly murders in this. I mean, there's there's a, there's a depth and an evil that we seem to just not be able to be able to find the bottom of. And so that, 
all of this evil seems to dominate. But what we see in John is, is that there's this picture that there's a light that is actually shining brighter and brighter, and it's going to shine through to eternity. Notice this and fill it in. There's the opposition of the darkness, and we see that in verse 8. It's mentioned in verse 9. Look at verse 8, the end of that, because the darkness is passing away. Look at verse 9. Whoever says that he's in the light and hates his brother is still where? In darkness. And then look at verse 11. Whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in darkness. So we see this, that there is a darkness. But there's not only a darkness, there's also an evil one. And, um, you know, I, sometimes I'll go to write you all a letter. And um, I, my perspective is, man, Satan Satan is attacking different things either in our culture or attacking things in our church life or attacking individuals in our church life. And sometimes just because I don't want you all to be thinking I've gone nuts, but I mean, I, I tone it back a little bit, but I see most of this as Satan's attack on us. He hates God and he hates God's children. He hates the truth. He hates the glory of God. I mean, all of these things that we've been talking about in our culture concerning the attack on the image of, of God made in us, male and female, I think a lot of that is actually a satanic attack on God through us. So he seeks to confuse our gender issues. He seeks to confuse our marriage issues. He seeks to confuse many of these basic commands that God has given. You remember with me, we saw that marriage is defined in the first and second chapter of the Bible. Male and female, he makes us, and then he brings together the first wedding in Genesis chapter 2. And so we, we see these, these great attacks upon that. We'll notice that in verse 13 and verse 14, he talks about the evil one. In the middle of verse 13, he says, I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome what? The evil one. And then in look at verse 14, at the end, he says, I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you, and you have what? Overcome the evil one. So we see that the love commandment is coming to us in the midst of a darkness that seems to dominate. But notice this, and this, this is part of this whole section. Fill it in. It's easy to lose sight of the basics of knowing the God who is love. We have, we have some basics that those who know the God of love are to be in our lives, but we can lose sight of those. You know, a lot of what is in the Old Testament is remember, remember, remember. If you read very much of the Old Testament, you will see the word remember a lot. Why? Because in our fallen condition, we tend to forget. And even as God's people, we can forget. But here we see that John is reminding us of some basics in this passage. And this basic of walking in the great commandment of God's love. And we're going to define that. We're going to look at that carefully because that, that's what this is all about. That God has commanded us to walk in love. 
because that is who he is. And we see that in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8. Let's read 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8 out loud together. It's right here on your outline. In 1 John 4 verse 8, let's read it. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Underline that last part, because God is love. Now you see, that's the nature of who God is. We've been made in his image, and he's called us to live like he lives. And God is a God who lives life in love, and he calls us to live life in love as he does. So this, sec- this section has multiple functions for us. Over the next few weeks, we're going to see multiple things here that are really powerful, and I want you to study this. Number one, it's a reminder. It's a reminder of things that God has, said, has always said to us. So this passage reminds, and we're going to see that in just a few minutes as we look at the old versus the new commandment. Look at the next one. It's not only a reminder, it's an encouragement for us not to lose heart amidst much opposition. John is actually capable of doing several things at once. He's not only reminding, but he's encouraging, and we're going to see here, fill it in, he's warning us. He's warning us not to be self-deceived. Now, who is it that becomes self-deceived? Those people who do not love other people, but think they know God. So he's warning you, he's warning me, if you don't really love others, you don't know God. And we're going to see, what does he mean by that? We're not talking warm, fuzzy feelings. We're not talking about, well, I love my wife, and that's good enough. Or I love my kids, or I love my grandchildren, or I, you know, I love whatever, and that's good enough. No, what we see here, it's a warning that if the love of God is not flowing through us, if our life is not characterized by that, we could be self-deceived. Notice the last one here. It is a correction. It is a correction of what we love and desire in this life. And we see that in those last verses, 15, 16, and 17, where he's talking about, you're flipping the page, you're flipping the page, don't do it, don't do it, it's not safe. Look at, look at verse 15, 16, and 17. In verses 15, 16, and 17, he's warning about loving the things of the world that are not eternal. And so that, that's what we see here, it's a correction. And you know, we need that. Why do we need that? Because we have brands marked. Because we have Amazon, because we have, you know, the home shows and the whatever. We have all of these things that are around us that are tempting us to love the world, love the world, love the things in the world. Instead, it is the correction that we are to love God and love others and not the things that are passing away. Now you may safely, safely turn the page. So let's look and let's remember. Um, I would like to ask TJ to go ahead and read that passage in the box at the top of the page again, and I want you to see this is the verses 7 and 8 are just the two verses that we're focusing on this morning. So TJ, go ahead and read 7 and 8. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Okay, so up in the top line of verse 7, go ahead and circle that part that says new commandment and go ahead and circle the part that says old commandment. This is an important thing that John does. 
Of course, everything in the Word of God is very important, but I want you to see what he's doing here. One of the things that we want to notice here is, is that God's love commandment has always been from the beginning. His love commandment has always been from the beginning. We notice this, go all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5. And remember, the stated law is already reflecting what creation gave us. When God made male and female, he made us to love one another. When he made us to procreate, he made us to love one another. This is all part of his grand and glorious plan that we would learn to love as he loves. And so we see finally that stated in the law in Deuteronomy chapter 6. So notice this, that Deuteronomy and Leviticus are from the Old Testament and Jesus repeats it in the New Testament. So look at Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5. Let's read it out loud together. Look what it says. Let's read. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Now, those of you who are new to the study of the Scripture, you need to understand that Deuteronomy 6.5 is one of the most important passages for you to see in all of the Old Testament. This is the great goal of man, is to love God. This is the great goal of women, is to love God for children. This is God's grand and glorious command to us, that we would love God. And then notice Leviticus chapter 9 and verse 18. Um, TJ, would you read Leviticus 9 and verse 18? You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And so here we are. It's not only love God, but it's also love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. And we see Jesus reiterate this, and he boils it down in such a glorious, powerful way. Just imagine with me here, we run all the way into the life of Jesus, out of the Old Testament, into the present age of Jesus's, of Jesus's ministry, and look what he says as the Pharisees are seeking to entrap him and seek him to elevate one of the Ten Commandments or one of the other laws, the 435 laws that they, ab they abided by, as they wanted Jesus to elevate one of them over the others and to commit blasphemy in doing so, to commit a heretical error. And so they came to him. Look what it says in verse 34. Go ahead and read that, T.J., but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Okay, if you would, please underline verse 40, because that's really important. Look what he says. Look what Jesus says. Jesus says, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So what is the point of the Ten Commandments? What is the point of everything that would be revealed in the law as seen in Exodus and, and uh, Leviticus and Deuteronomy? What do we see in this? This is all pointing to love God and to love one another. All of the prophets 
all of the calls of the prophets for the nation of Israel to walk with God was ultimately calling them to love God and to love each other. And so Jesus boils it down in such a way that they couldn't refute that. It was so very clear. So when we see, look up in verse 7 again in the box at the top of the page, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. Which beginning is it talking about? Is it talking about the beginning with the law? Was it talking about the beginning with Jesus' life? Because you remember, this is about 90, 91, 92 AD. So we're looking back 60 years to the beginning of the church. So they could be tempted to think, is this talking about the law of the beginning of the church or the commandment that we see in Christ? Or is this going all the way back to creation, the beginning of creation? Notice this, fill it in. From the beginning, whether from creation or from Christ, both are true. Both are simply true. Whether we're looking all the way back, because this has always been the commandment. This has always been the commandment. But which is it? Is it old commandment or is it a new commandment? It's not binary in this regard. It is both, and it's a beautiful thing. In verse 7 and 8, we see that this is God's grand plan that we would see a truth and then see it more. Now, if you would, look up here for just a minute. There are certain concepts that students of the Bible need to understand, and I'm about to share one of them with you that's very important. And um, so this is, this is just, and, and this is beautiful because as you start thinking about this concept, as you start thinking about your reading of the Bible, your understanding of the Bible, what you know about the, the progression of the Bible, you're going to start to sit there. If you've never thought about this before, you're going to go, oh, wow, that's true. And uh, I think that you'll love this. Notice this. Fill this in. God's Word progressively reveals three things. God's Word progressively reveals who He is, what He demands, and what He has planned. That's what God's Word does. God's word, but now God's not making it up as he goes. There's some people um, that believe that, you know, God's figuring it out along as us. He's just a couple of steps ahead of us. That is patently false. He is a sovereign God who has determined all things in his glory and in his wisdom and in his might um, from the beginning of time. This is a, a glorious nature of who he is. And that, that's, a, that's a thing that we can run to with joy. But notice here with me, that he is progressively revealing himself. At first, we're not sure exactly who he is, but eventually he lets us know his name, and then he lets us know his intent. We let, he lets us know his character. In it, we begin to see from the very first chapter of the Bible that he is three in one. The Trinity is showing up in the first chapter of the Bible, but that is revealed more and more and more as the century, as the millennia of the Bible go on. And not only do we know who he is more, but we know what he wants. He begins to show us his demand upon us. And then we also begin to see more and more, what's the third one there? We see what he is what? What he has planned. Now at first we didn't know very much, but then as you see how the Bible has unfolded, and let me tell you, that is a great privilege for us to live in the age in which we live. 
Um, I've often thought, man, I would have loved to live in Moses' day. I would have loved to have seen some of those. I would have loved to live in David's day. I would have loved to live in uh, the first century with Jesus. That would have been great. Well, actually, I am really thankful that I live in the, the era that I live. Because not only have I been able to see all that God did in the Old Testament and all that he did in the first century of the New Testament, but I also get to see 2,000 years of church history of people who've been walking with God. We sit in a privileged place. And if the Lord doesn't come back, there's going to be people who come after us that they were, they're going to be able to say the same thing, that God's progressive plan is getting, getting grander and greater and clearer as we go. So notice this. Notice what Augustine of Hippo, Marcy and I used to live in the country where Augustine was born. We lived in Algeria. And uh, I've been to the place where he was born. I've been to the place where he was a pastor for 37 years. Um, but Augustine lived. Um, he was born in 30, 354, and he died in 430. Um, has a fascinating life, fascinating history. One of the greatest theological minds in the last 2,000 years. But listen to how he summed it up. He said this. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. So the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. And the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. It's revealed. So here we see that God is working his plan. He's telling that a Savior is going to come. He's telling what that Savior is going to be like. He's telling what's going to happen with that Savior. We even see in the Old Testament, he's telling that his Spirit is going to come. And then in the New Testament, we see all of those promises that were concealed in the Old Testament, we see them revealed in the New Testament. And as you read through the New Testament and you see the Old Testament being fulfilled, and we, we see that, we then come, what is, what, are the la, what is the last book in the book of the New Testament? What is it called? Revelation. Now, some of you put an S on the end of that, revelations. It's not revelations. It's John's revelation. So it's the revelation of God to John. And when you read the revelation, it is mind-blowing. I mean, it's amazing. There are glorious terms here. There's, there's pictures and there's imagery that we're sitting here going, man, I may not know exactly what that means, but it is grand and it is glorious. And so what we see is that God is progressively revealing. Now, some people would say, well, why don't we just skip to Revelation and just study Revelation all the time? If that's the ultimate revelation in all of this, why don't we do that? Well, you can't understand Revelation without studying the Old Testament. There is no way to properly understand Revelation without understanding what God was doing in the Old Testament. You can't understand Revelation without going and looking at the rest of the New Testament. So the Old Testament and the New Testament bring great light on and even with those in this present day and time, there's a fair amount of revelation that we have imagery of what it is about. We may not know specifically exactly what every part of that means. So just notice this, that God is progressively revealing. So when we see this talk in verse 7 and 8 of the old commandment versus the new commandment, and we see them coming together, that's beautiful. So notice this and fill this in. The newness of the commandment is not determined by whether or not it has been stated before. 
but its newness is seen in how Jesus demonstrated it to us. So this is what, this is, what is new, is that Jesus demonstrates what love really looks like. This is really important for us to see. It's in Christ that we learn what true love is. In fact, I want you to see Philippians chapter 2, verses 4 through 8. And this is a passage. Here, here is another one. If you're new to studying the Bible, just kind of put a big circle around this whole passage right here because this is a key passage for understanding the gospel. This shows us the mind and the heart of Christ. Now, it's being written to a church saying, hey, y'all need to treat one another like Christ treated all of us. So your behavior with each other ought to reflect what Jesus did. So that's the, that's the setting of this. But in this, we see a beautiful picture of the heart and obedience of Jesus Christ. And so TJ, read this for us where we see the true love that is in Christ. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Wow. This is the picture of what love looks like. Jesus leaves the halls of heaven, comes and enters into human form. And not only human form, but he would go all the way to the cross, laying down his life for us. That's what love looks like. And so we see this in humility. We see this in God's great glory. Flip the page and notice here that on the night before Christ went to the cross, fill this in, on the night before Christ went to the cross, the Lord Jesus showed us many things about what true love actually looks like. There were many things that he taught that night. In fact, there's several chapters of John's gospel that are devoted to the things that he said at the Last Supper. And you remember it was at the Last Supper that Jesus released um, Judas to go and betray him. Nobody else really knew what was going on, but Jesus knew exactly what was going on. And Judas knew what was going on. And so Jesus is teaching about how to love one another. Jesus is teaching about how to care for one another. Jesus is teaching about the grand and glorious plan, seeking those last moments with the disciples before he goes to the cross. In the intimate setting of the Passover celebration, which is the great picture of what he was about to do, he's about to go and be the Passover lamb for the world. And so this beautiful picture, this is so important as we study the word, this is what we see in that last night. I want us to just, if you would, with me and your imagination and your heart, let's go down into that Last Supper room. Let's go down and be there in the room for just a couple of minutes. As TJ reads in John chapter 13, a portion of what Jesus taught that night. This is just a portion of it, but it's a very important portion. It's not only in what he said, but it's also in what he did in showing us 
what love looks like. So just remember this. Jesus, creator of the universe, born into the form of a helpless babe, grows up, teaches for three years, largely rejected by the world around him, and he's with his band of 12, and he shares with them these words, and he shows them what true love looks like. Read John 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from the supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Wow. So here we're seeing the creator of the universe not only comes and walks with them, but then lowers himself to the lowest servant in the house, is the one who washes the feet. And he's saying, I did this to show you, to set an example to you of what it looks like to love and to care for others. And it's interesting, Simon Peter at first said, no, not me, you're never going to wash me. And he said, well, if I don't wash you, you can have no part of me. Okay, then wash all of me. (laughs) And he's saying, Peter, listen, the picture is this, you're going to understand one day. And, And I believe that that was when the Holy Spirit came falls on Peter at Pentecost after Jesus has ascended to the Father, and Peter becomes this powerful, robust leader, preacher. And all of that energy and all of that excitement that Peter often exhibited was being used by God to show and to preach the gospel to the world. But Peter could never do that if he did not understand that all of this message is based in servanthood. 
It's all based in self-sacrifice. It's not based upon power. It's not based in, in eloquence. It's not based in any of those things. It is all based in self-sacrificing, other-oriented love. And that is the picture that Peter would see in that day, and that is the picture. You know, I also think it's interesting. Look with me there at verse 11. It says, for he knew who was to betray him. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. You may want to make a note there in that open space. Jesus loved his enemies. I want you to think about this with me for just a moment. Jesus didn't only say, love your enemies. But think about this. Jesus, on the night, just hours before he would be delivered over, the very one who is betraying him, what is Jesus doing? He's washing his feet. Now, you know, if God had sent me from heaven and I was going to die for everyone, I'd probably wash everybody else's feet, but, but not him. Not the one who's going to betray me with a kiss. And so this one, if we could say, you know, an, an arch enemy in, in some way, that Jesus is showing us, he washed even Judas's feet. My friends, Jesus showed us what this looks like. So when we see, going back up to that statement above that you didn't fill in yet, you see, out of all of this darkness, out of the darkness of that night, out of the darkness of the world, shines the life of Christ. Not the light of Christ necessarily, though that's true. We see this. It's the life of Christ that we're seeing. It's the example of what love looks like. John wants us to see and note and hold on to the true life of Christ, which is a life of self-sacrifice. It is a life of service to others. And so skipping down to the bottom again, Jesus shows us the attitudes and the actions of what it means to truly love others. Jesus shows us what this looks like. And yes, I, I would like for you to write down these. That I, I want you to think about them as you write them down. In Jesus, we see humility. We saw that from Philippians chapter 2. That he leaves the halls of heaven. He humbles himself to become a man. And not only does he humble himself to become a man, but he humbles himself to obedience to the Father, even to become one who would be rejected by the world and crucified, held up to be mocked. This is humility. This is ultimate humility because this is the creator of the universe doing this. Jesus shows for us where love begins, and it is humility. How about this one? Presence. The Bible has a lot to say about God being with his people. Think about it, before the fall, before the rebellion in the Garden of Eden, that God would come and be with Adam and Eve. And if you fast forward all the way to the end of Revelation, 
when we get past all of the eras of the redemption time of, of Old Testament and New Testament, when everything is finally set right after this present era, it says, and God himself will be among them. He will be with them. God has a great priority on presence. He has a great priority, so much of a presence that he gives his Holy Spirit to come live within his people, that his presence is with us. I want you to think about this. It doesn't work very well to love somebody that you're never with. That's very hard to do. Now, we, in our present day and time, we have been deceived about this a little bit. We have Facebook, and what are Facebook, the people you're connected to, what are they called? Friends. That's demonic. (laughs) As opposed to real friends. Are they really your friends? Really? We, we are deceived by being able to, quote-unquote, be connected when we're not really connected. I mean, we've all learned this in, during this pandemic time, that when we weren't able to be present together, it was painful. It was, it was crazy. It, and how many of you said, ah, we did the video thing, Pastor, but it just wasn't cutting it? There's so many people, even people, quote-unquote, at risk that said, I don't care. If, if I'm at risk, I'm at risk. I can't do this anymore. I need to be with God's people. When a husband and wife get separated for a long period of time, and I'm amazed by history when I read different biographies, uh, especially during the missionary movements and during various other things. I read the, the story of the life of John Adams, as, so to, as for one. The, John Adams wound up in France Um, during the Revolutionary War and after the Revolutionary War, uh, representing the American colonies to the French government, and he was separated from Abigail Adams, I think, for up to like two or three years. Hard things. There's missionaries that have been separated from their wives for 10 or 15 years in the 1700s and the 1800s. Writing letters, writing letters, writing letters, but, you know, that's It's not what God designed. God designed us to be with one another. Sometimes the greatest way that you can love someone is just by being with them. Jesus showed us that. He came to us. He is with us. And he promises to always be with us. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Presence is an important part of love. Notice the next one, patience. How patient has God been with his people? Patience beyond patience beyond patience. And the patience of God as we have seen him. And even Jesus with his disciples, we would see little hints of that where the disciples would get things wrong over and over and over again. And Jesus would even look at them and would say to them, he's pointing out to them how much they need his patience when he says, How long will I be with you and you don't understand? You know, our Lord is patient. Love is patient. That's what we see in 1 Corinthians. It is kind. How about this one? Acceptance. Jesus accepted his disciples. Jesus accepted his disciples in all of their even arguing over who was the greatest. 
I mean, you know, for whatever you think of the, the series, The Chosen, um, I think there's some parts of it that are really good, that are helpful, but they capture well this rivalry within, within the disciples that apparently was there. And you just look at it, and when we know the whole story of Jesus, we go, gosh, that's so stupid. But, you know, we can still be prone to that too. This beautiful acceptance that Jesus would have and tremendous patience with them. How about this? Forgiveness. You see, true love forgives. There's no way for there to be two people together without forgiveness when one of them is sinful and fallen. There must be forgiveness, let alone if both of them are sinful and fallen. This is why in marriage, forgiveness is absolutely essential. If you refuse to forgive, you cannot have a healthy marriage. It is impossible because it's two sinful human beings coming together to live life. Forgiveness is part of what love is. How about this? We see in the life of the Lord Jesus, compassion. Compassion is so critical. And right out to the side, two key words, not only sympathy, but empathy. This is the idea of with passion. We see this, that not only can one understand the way someone else feels, but in empathy we see that we take on someone's circumstance and how they feel. This is ultimate compassion. Jesus had compassion for us. How about this? We see this in what we just read, John 13, service and helping. Jesus came healing. Jesus came teaching. Jesus came helping. Jesus came rescuing. That's what he did. And he's sacrificing himself. It said that he would preach and teach until he was utterly exhausted in his human flesh. Do we serve and help others? But then finally, and the greatest one of all, is self-sacrifice. That's what Jesus did. Jesus came and lays down his life. Jesus comes and does not uphold his life as something to be held on to, but let it go in ultimate sacrifice. In fact, Jesus would say, there is no greater love than this, than one would lay down his life for his friend. And that's exactly what Jesus, the perfect creator of the universe, does is he comes and he self-sacrifices that we might know what true love looks like. And not only what it looks like, but that we may benefit from it. So John is writing to us, not a new commandment, but an old commandment revealed. Revealed in Christ. So what I want us to do right now is just to read verse 7 and 8 at the top of the page one more time, and then I'm going to ask you some questions. See if you'd understand if it makes more sense now. So as he switches gears and he starts this section, this is what he writes. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. Verse 8. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him. Circle that. Which is true in him. 
and you. This is where love is. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. First question is this. One, the commandment of love begins with receiving Christ as Lord and Savior. I believe that that's where true love begins. Now, where there's love without Christ and understanding of Christ, it's God's love, if it's true biblical love. It's kind of like wherever there's truth, it's God's truth, because God is truth. So the world sometimes has truth. There's aspects of the truth that the world has. There's aspects of love that the world has. But this is where we see the whole package comes to you in Christ. And my question is, have you received him? That means to surrender to him, to to trust in him in what he did on the cross for our salvation. If you haven't, you need to do that. You need to receive Christ. But look at number two. Does the way you love people look like the way Christ loves people? You see, there's sometimes when we want to just love people the way we want to love them, maybe in our flesh. Oh, I'm loving for them. I'm providing for them. I'm loving them. I'm changing their diaper. Or I'm being patient with their teenage years. I'm being patient with this. I'm being patient with that. I'm I'm loving them with perhaps our own views of what that looks like without remembering. Let's, let's remember underneath number two, notice that, humility, presence, patience, acceptance, forgiveness, compassion, self-service and helping and self-sacrifice. So the question is, do you love others in the way Christ loved? Or is your love proud? Does your love keep a record Does your love keep a scorecard? Does your love have a limit? Jesus loved perfectly. We're called to follow in that. Number three, why do Christians need to be reminded of Christ's pure love? That's a good question for you to think about this week. Why do we need to be reminded of this? I mean, the part of that is, why do we get off course? Um, That would be a good discussion for you to have at lunch today with your family or your husband or your wife. Why do we get messed up? Why is what John wrote so important, especially as he keeps going beyond verses 7 and 8, and he starts talking about why, why are you all hating one another? How do Christians get so messed up in this? Why do we need to be reminded? Number four, here's a good one. How does the world's understanding of love compare to God's true love? The world has a lot to say about love. The world uses the word love a lot. And again, (laughs) I think that's part of Satan's attack on the true nature of God. I mean, when you go have sex with someone in a one-night stand and you call that love, oh, what are they doing there, you know? That, that's anything but the love of God. Anything but the love of God. 
It's just the opposite of that. And all, all of the pornography or all of the materialism or all of these things that we, that we think that we're doing, you know, when you, when you buy things for your children, and it's really more of a reflection of either you wanting them to love you or because you want others to see what you got for your kids. I mean, you see, that's not love. That, that is the opposite of what God calls love. The way that there's a lot to discuss on number four of what is the understanding of the, the world has about love. I mean, all of these other issues and our cultural things of LGBTQ and all of that, you know, do you, do you love, I mean, you know, what in the world, do, you know, love wins and why don't you just love people in the way they are and, and everything else. One of the things that we've said is, do you love someone enough to warn them? Do you love someone enough to care for them where they are, yes, to accept them as a person and where they are, and to love them enough to show them the truth, to love them enough to warn them of what it means to reject God and deny God. True love looks very different than the world says. Number five, and this is another good one. I, I, I especially enjoyed this one as I was studying this week, um, the end of verse eight, how does the end of verse 8 encourage your faith and faithfulness to God? And I think it can. It says, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. My friends, we are on the winning side. And the Savior is going to be victorious in every way. The darkness may seem great, but in all reality... The darkness ultimately is fading as the love of God prevails. Amen? Let's stand together for prayer. In just a moment, I'd like to ask you if you would to stand and just everyone bow their head, close their eyes, and focus on the Lord. No one leaving, no one moving around. Just take a moment, a holy moment here. And to ask yourself, have I understood the love of God as the true love of God? The love of the Savior for a lost and dying world. Friends, I want to challenge you to consider what we've seen in John. This, this old commandment that is revealed in a new way in Jesus Christ. The glorious nature of of that Father I pray this morning that we would allow this word to challenge us I pray that all that we've read this morning all that we've seen of Jesus would truly challenge our hearts and that we would allow you Father to shine the light of your conviction where we've not believed Lord where we've not loved as you love. Lord, where we've held grudges, where we've kept score, Lord, where we have thought highly of ourselves instead of esteeming others. Lord, when we consider the way that we've allowed the world to affect our understanding of what true love is, We've allowed it very often to confuse us. Lord, I pray that your word would be 
moving us to be more like Jesus and that you and you alone would receive the honor and the glory in that. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We're going to sing, and I just want you to notice that on either side of this auditorium, um, uh, uh, Rosa and Arhelis are going to be on this side, and right over here, the Spees are on this side. If you need to pray with somebody this morning, I want to encourage you to just come and pray with them. If you need to receive Christ, maybe you would say, hey, when he said that we can't really love without knowing Christ, I want to encourage you to just come and let Christ do a work in you this morning. As we sing, come and pray with them if you need to, but let's sing together.